Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. The weary one from Vieira. Diggs gets past Vieira, past Dixon. Who uh, comes back at him. It's a wonderful run from It turns out it was the last semi-final replay goal we'd ever seen in the FA Cup. Uh, for many of you, that will feel like yesterday. And for our younger listeners, you may not even remember that, which pains Kevin Kilbane <laughs> and I. Arsenal play Manchester United in the FA Cup this uh, Friday, 7.55pm kickoff. And so it suddenly reminded us of 20 years ago, 1999, April uh, 14th, 1999 at uh, Villa Park. Three days after the two sides have played out a nil-all draw on April 11th and we are delighted to welcome, I don't know how much he wants to talk about the evening particularly, but Martin Keown has uh, been good enough to join us. Evening Martin. Good evening. I so, hope this line's okay for you. It's perfect, yeah, 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 it's great, absolutely spot on. So, um, I mean, it was, an ex- it, just, it was an extraordinary game and it was an extraordinary backdrop given the rivalry between the two sides and where things were in both the Premier League and obviously in this FA Cup tie and uh, Manchester United going for the treble at that stage as well. Um, where do we start with this one? Huh. Well, we actually uh, were going for the double-double because we'd won the double the year before mm. and there was only a point or so between us in the Premier League and obviously we're deep in April. Um, so our consistency over the two seasons has been quite outstanding. But, you know, obviously history tells you Manchester United went that little bit extra and the first game was... Um, a, a difficult match uh, in quick succession we were back there again we had a penalty right at the end of the 90 minutes Dennis Burkamp had a penalty chance to, to put us through they were down to 10 men Manchester United and uh, inexplicably I think Patrick Vieira passed the ball out wide to where Ray Parler normally was Ray had just gone off and then Ryan Giggs uh, went on that incredible run and the rest is, is history I'm afraid So uh, to remind people of the teams that evening uh, David Seaman in goal, it was Dixon, Adams, Keown and Winterburn, the back four. Parler, Vieira, Petit, Freddie Lungberg and then Dennis Burkamp and Nicholas and Nelka. Mark Overmar is on the bench. He did come on and have a really good last half hour of normal time and had a big impact. Roy Keane got his second yellow trying to tackle Overmars down the left-hand side. And then for United, um, Schmeichel, Gary Neville, Phil Neville, Dennis Irwin rested that evening. Uh, Ronnie Janssen, Yapstam, and then it was Beckham. It was Roy Keane and Nicky Budd in midfield. It was Ryan Giggs on the bench, as we know. Jesper Blomqvist was on the left. And then Solskjaer and Sheringham up front. Uh, Lee Dixon jokes, uh, Martin, that um, before the game, all the players were saying how lucky he was that Ryan Giggs was on the bench instead of Blomqvist. Uh, what was your reaction when you saw Solskjaer and uh, Sheringham up front as opposed to York and Cole. That was almost the first season uh, I can sort of remember in English football where any team had that kind of depth and that kind of squad rotation. So when you saw Solskjaer and Sheringham, did you think, okay, not so bad? 
Well, not really, because you, I didn't really care who I was playing against, quite frankly. It was because we knew that you'd look to the bench, and it was, I suppose, if you wanted to get involved. You, it, it, you could be fearsome looking over, seeing, you know, York and Cole sitting on the bench. Mm. And it was as if Ferguson, he wanted to dip into that. That was the power of Manchester United. In those days, you know, people didn't really carry four big-name strikers. They did. They had the pockets for that. I think at the start of that season, they went and bought Dwight York and bought, and bought your, uh, Stamp as well. Two really key signings mm. that perhaps closed the gap a little bit. Um, and I think he wanted to keep them on their toes. It was a from, formidable front line that they could just dip into. We just pretty well had Burkamp um, and an Elka to turn to. Um, we didn't have that strength in depth Manchester United had. Yeah, Martin, just in, in relation to the first leg at Old Trafford, the first game, should I say, at uh, Villa Park, United had just played Juve at Juventus in the first leg of the Champions League, of course, the famous second leg, um, the 3-2 in Turin. So had you mentioned in the dressing room prior to that that certainly even either either of those games at Villa Park, that, look, the, these are playing three massive games, or certainly two massive games prior to that replay. Do you mention that, or had Arsene Wenger mentioned that in the dressing room prior to the game? Well, Kev, you know, it's such a long time ago. Yeah. It was, um, we, we knew that they had, I mean, they had big dead reserves of energy because of the squads they had. We knew, of course, they were coming in from, from huge games, and that was always the issue of the Champions League, um, the impact the FA Cup has on that. Because you get to the latter stages, we'll see it again this year. You know, Liverpool have gone out already. Uh, it might be a blessing for them. But, you know, because it does get congested. But you just you never underestimate, underestimated Manchester United at all in those days. Everybody was quite weary uh, of what you're up against. We knew that we had the players to beat them. And looking back, perhaps that was our chance in that very first game, which was for quite a timid game, if I remember. Uh, both defences on top. Um, but it, it was definitely, <clears throat> I mean, I've heard it said by the United players that they felt that domestically Arsenal uh, were their sort of biggest challenge and probably their biggest challenge in Europe. We, we did nothing in the Champions League through that period. We played actually away from Highbury. We've yeah. seen how difficult that is for Tottenham to do that, to play at Wembley in the Champions League. So that sort of, that team for me uh, underachieved in the, uh, that period of time with the likes of Petit and Vieira in midfield. They were quite magnificent, those two. And I think United were weary of us. And how, I still can't believe that we didn't win that game. You know, I think the unfortunate thing, Dennis Burkham was taking that penalty and Dennis had more to lose than anybody else. He didn't play in the previous final the year before when we won it. He was injured, and I could just see the look on his face when he went up to take the ball. He didn't have that usual glow that he had, and I wondered, actually, in, even in the moment, should I say something? But you can't interrupt, you know, somebody else is uh, taking a penalty. It's just not on, and I, I kind of thought he would miss. I never felt confident, um, and it gave, it seemed to give them an extra resolve, and I think by winning the cup game against us, they then went and won the league and the Champions League, and I think that gave them the confidence to sort of propel themselves forward That's, to, um, to do what was magnificent, really. Yeah, Wenger makes that point, actually. He says that goal really won them the treble. Um, that's fascinating to hear about Burkamp, you know, given that we're talking about such a great, great player, such a great technician. And Wenger says that after that um, night, Burkamp never wanted to take a penalty again. And in Burkamp's book, Stillness and Speed, he said, I still took the odd penalty without problems, without hesitation. 
but that miss did bother me for quite a while and next season Henri became our penalty taker. When you say you saw something in his body language or on his face, Martin, yeah. can, you, can you describe it or remember it? Because again, it, it's Burkamp we're talking about. It was, and it, it, I always felt, though, that in that period, you, you almost read scripts and you, you can change the course of history. You, you're, it's in your power, and that it was so close between us that in those days, but you had to just let Dennis go through. I couldn't have stepped in because mm. Dennis would have been too proud to have not taken it, uh, and then I may well have been blamed for, tell, for trying to distract him in that moment, but... We were in many penalty shootouts. In 98, we went to two penalty shootouts. We went with West Ham and Port Vale, took us the whole road. Um, I, I seem to remember other people taking penalties in difficult moments, and I didn't think Dennis was the right person, but, you know, I was proved right. And, and you know, Overmars is running through on goal, and Roy Keane takes him out. Now, Overmars scores. If Roy Keane, Roy Keane didn't even look back at the red card that he got. He just kept walking. It was the second yellow. Yeah, sorry, yeah, but it was a red. So he knew he was gone. He yeah. completely. I mean, I, I actually, looking back on that, it was bizarre that the two best players really on the night, I think Giggs and Overmars, had a massive impact on mm. the game. One didn't get what he deserved and one did. Overmars running through on goal could perhaps have scored, was taken out, the penalty was missed, and Giggs did the rest. Yeah. Uh, a question I'd be fascinated to ask you. Everybody's familiar with this treble winning Manchester United team. You know, the names roll off the tongue. When you played them, were there areas of weakness? I mean, I guess you're a bit freer to tell us now. Like, when you sat down to plan how to play the bulk of that treble-winning Manchester United team, in the team talks or in the tactical planning, where were the weaknesses? Where, like, how did you go about trying to beat them? Well, th this is going to sound bizarre, but the thing I found remarkable about Arsene Wenger was that we, we spoke primarily about ourselves, not about the opposition. So we may have looked at a couple of things... Um, that offensively that we would you know be worried about and then the rest was about us attacking right so there was no real so he was trying to create this aura of invincibility and belief in us that we didn't need to worry about Manchester United and genuinely once we got onto the pitch with them in head-to-heads we were happy to do that it felt as if the whole of the football league or the Premier League was um, in awe of Manchester United just to step out at Old Trafford. So when you went head to head with them, it was a chance for us to say, "Well, okay, that we're not going to." We had World Cup winners sitting in, our, in, you know, two of them in our midfield yeah. just for a start. Yeah. People that felt they were better than Manchester United, but it was, you know, in a way that early team of '98, '99 were sort of pioneers for Arsenal to sort of put them. I mean, it got a lot easier after that. I can tell you because the team didn't completely break up and it moved on to 2002 and was successful again with another double and uh, there were still people there to 2004 when they went unbeaten so but those early days against Manchester United we were trying to take it away from them mm. um, and they were epic battles yeah, uh, into, I mean the midfield battle mm. with Keane and Vieira was just uh, <laughs> legendary and Nicky Butt was in there because he was in there to give a little bit extra bite that was a great respect for us they didn't try to outplay us they tried to I suppose, kick us off the pitch a little bit. Mm. Um, but they had the brilliance of Ryan Giggs. There's no doubt they had that quality as well. Yeah, you, know, you know, in the aftermath of those games as well, Lamont, you mentioned that they were so close. It, it seemed to be, and it, it, it did turn out like that, it was Arsenal one season, United the next, whatever it was. And you, both sides, both, of, both players uh, from both sides, when you speak to them now, both recognise how close it actually was during that spell. 
What was said after those games, after some of these games, whether you won or lost or whatever it was, what, what was said in the aftermath of those matches? Well, it's a good one, actually, because I went into the uh, Manchester United dressing room after that semi-final, and I'll never do it again, because, uh, you know, there was wild celebrations, and I think one or two must have seen us, um, but didn't, it didn't curtail their celebrations, and nor should it, really, and I, was no, I had no right to go in there. But I, I wanted it, uh, to say, you know, congratulations, because they were kind of like epic battles, and you felt you needed to sort of... Uh, square things off afterwards but I think that they were so so relieved uh, that they just you know maybe there was a little bit more they were maybe more ruthless than we were um, but I, I like to think that we found that ruthlessness going forward and, and do you know like, just in, in, in relation just during that game as well Lord Martin, it's famously something that uh, that Roy Keane had said um, in the aftermath as well. He said, I still can't understand why no Arsenal player fouled Giggs when he was running 40, 50 yards to score. <laughs> when you lose a ball in the halfway line, you shouldn't worry yeah, too much when you're up against 10 men. Mean, yeah, yeah I, I, that's what I mean. There, there was, you know, you, yourself included, you, had that, you yeah. had that little nasty side to your game if necessary, Martin. There was one or two. Lee Dixon, I played up against him many times as well. They'd cut you down if necessary. D do you ever think back when you see that goal as well? Do you ever think... Well, an opportunity for me or Patrick or anyone. You try to, in seriousness, explain to people what had happened. And I, obviously, I was, I felt quite adept in a one v one situation. But Andy, Andy Cole makes a run to out of screen, or maybe you can see it on the screen to my right side. So it takes me off the line of the ball. So I would normally, of a, of a, of my angle of approach, I'd be making sure that he couldn't have come inside me, and that I'm showing him the line. But because I go approach him slightly offline, because because I'm Andy Cole, I try to cover his run. He didn't play it. So when I approach him, he then goes inside of me. Now, normally, he wouldn't have been able to do that. I'd have forced him down the line. And that was the reason I sent him in. He came inside of me. Uh, I think Lee Dixon had a couple of, of pops, didn't he? Lee yeah. perhaps could have, been, could have taken him down. Yeah, he, for had, sure. he had two goals, uh, yeah. And then, he, and then he just kept going and going. And I think then in the end, Dave almost fell backwards into the goal. It just, I don't know how it's not that clean. It's a good strike, of course, but I don't think it's that high. But it was just, it sort of took everyone's breath away. Once he got, I couldn't kick him once he got to the edge of the box, if you watch the footage. Mm. But the time I could bring him down, he's on the edge of the box. So I pulled, I can't go in as I want to. I, do you have any strong memory of in the dressing room afterwards when I guess the post-mortem happens as it does someone going why the hell didn't we foul him no 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 okay. it, was, it was how on earth didn't we win it because mm. you know we had that opportunity to have done that didn't we in, in the 90 minutes mm. before we even went to extra time the game was in our hands a penalty but, but that's football that's yeah. the way that game seesawed I, and I, I sense that the relief from those Manchester United players was, was, was quite remarkable. And, and even I can see the pictures of when they won the league, last game of the season, they uh, beat Tottenham, by the way, ironically, yeah. to wit to be champions. And there's players on their knees, you yeah. know, uh, looking up to the skies because they only just about did it. I think they sensed that you were really building something. I mean, you, you can't underestimate the fact that you'd just done the treble. And there was just... It really, I, the Solskjaer equaliser against Liverpool a uh, few, few months before that seemed to kick off this pattern of unbelievably dramatic late escapes. Like, so Kev mentions the Juventus tie, like that's gigs at the back post on the 7th. And then they've the game against you four days later, and then the replay three days later. 
Um, and then Turin, you know, follows. Like, they just, there was a kind of, there was something strange about them. Yeah, and then, you know, even the Spurs game, the last game you mentioned, like, they come from behind and the Andy Cole goal. And there just was a, an, an unbelievable quality about them over those few months. Well, that's why when you, try, when you start to sort of do, you look at different eras and you look at, I think last year I was asked, you know, which was, was the City team, Man City, the best team of all time. And I said, well, actually, the Man United team would have found a way to beat them because they always seem to find a way to win, <laughs> um, annoyingly. But, you know, I, I, you know, that was then. And uh, it kind of, I mean, w- when that happened, of course, and Arsenal didn't win that game, and then we lost the UEFA Cup final um, as well, I think the next season. And then we'd, we'd, we'd missed out against Liverpool, if you think of Michael Owen. Yeah. Um, we lost the likes of Anelka and Manny Petit. Uh, Overmars went as well and then they, they, there was a rebuilding but the core was still there and mm. I think the key to that was Patrick Vieira uh, in that midfield he was the general um, the heartbeat of the club and when Arsenal lost him I think that's when any chance of, of another Premier League under the Wenger disappeared forever Right he was, the, he was that influential that powerful and that good Well there were no statues to, for Patrick outside but without Patrick demanding the ball from the defenders and then giving key passes to the front players, you know, they would, you just wouldn't have seen the success. And suddenly you had somebody up against Roy Keane to, you know, to muscle in on him and say, no, 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 there's another king now. I, I'm as good, if not better, than you. Yeah. You used the word inexplicable at the start of this interview. Um, along with why didn't anybody foul him, the Vieira pass to Giggs is just... <laughs> Beyond inexplicable. I'd say even he looks at it now and can't it's make sense. Been, he'd be knackered. He would have been knackered at that yeah. stage of the game. That's a, a loose tied pass, isn't it? I mean, it's very loose. Yeah. There was no. Was there an Arsenal player within twenty yards of Giggs? Well, it was Roy had just gone off, and I think he just instinctively that would be the pass he'd make, and he, and there was nobody there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's, suddenly, Ray Parler's on the bench. Yeah. He's got a hell of a lot to do there. So. Yeah. I would never. I never sit and blame anybody in any yeah. of the, in this situation. And Dennis gave us so many great moments. Uh, and uh, and it, a large part of what he gave us was why we were there in the first place. Mm. So you never look around any of those players and think, why did he do this? Why did he do that? We loved. We, I loved the whole of those players. They were great people to be around. I'd looked around that dressing room and I'd I'd, I'd waited my whole career to be with players as good as this. Mm. Um, it was just one of those things that you have. To, you know, it's huge for Manchester United to look back at what they did. But you know, I think I'd like to think. We won no trophies that season, mm. but I don't think there was a, a more difficult game that Manchester United found themselves in than against us. No, I wouldn't think so. And there was they—they they must have been just so exhilarating and exciting to play in, and so you know, uh, wonderfully grimly difficult. Like even the even the Beckham goal. There's just so much. There's very little anybody can do about it. Like the Sheringham t- layoff for Beckham, and he hits it like a free kick. And know. you know, it, you just kind of sometimes you have to go. Geez, these are really good. We're really good. Do you know, it was one of those where um, I, I used to, I, when I played Manchester United, it was kind of, if I didn't know what to do, I did nothing, I stood still. And sometimes the ball used to hit me, sometimes a player used to run into me, their movement was excellent. Mm. Because if you came off deep to feet, Giggs would sprint in behind you and he's gone like the wind and he's away and the ball's played. So you couldn't break that line. That back four that we had had to stay intact at all times. And it, you, when you came off to feet, you had to win it and take everything with you because otherwise they, there was somebody running in behind you. They had such clever movement. And I think we saw a goal the other the night on television where everybody, the Wolves, where everybody's complaining against Leicester, the guy was offside. And Nisroy was offside the whole time 
whenever we played Manchester United. Yeah. It was he, he used that change of rule very very cleverly. So they were they were you know clever players, intelligent and motivated, and they were winners. And and they came across came up against uh, you know I think at the stage that we were at certainly a lot of the defenders and everybody we were we shaped our personalities over many years. Uh, and they were massive c- comings together. And yeah. we knew that the front of our team that suddenly we had outstanding ability. I would giggle when Anelka got the ball. He was that good, that quick. Uh, you ask the likes of Rio Ferdinand now, who's the best player he's played against, he would be Anelka. Mm. Uh, truly top quality players. Overmars was a massive loss for us. I don't even know why the manager didn't start him that night. Um, maybe he should have done. But, you know, couldn't again, you couldn't question Wenger in that period because he was... He was at his absolute best yeah. and making all the right decisions, a young manager at the top of his game. I know Kev wants to ask you about this Friday mm. and um, wouldn't, mm. it, wouldn't it be funny if you told Oli Gunnar Solskjaer 20 years ago where he'd be in life, I'm sure he'd be okay with it. Before uh, he does that, it's just suddenly come into my head, you mentioned Van Nistelrooy. Uh, <laughs> That incident. Do you, do, you, do, you, do, you look, do you look back and think, oh, Martin, what are you doing? Or do you think, sod that, it was war and that's what it was about at that time? It was one of, if it, it was right then, it's right now. I can't change it. It was a spontaneous reaction. Um, there was lots going on with Van Nistelrooy for, for many years. Cute individual, played it to, on the edge. And it was a reaction that you, you can't change it. I don't, do I regret it? Uh, I regret it when I tra- travel to Manchester every weekend, but when I'm at North London watching the Arsenal play, everybody loves me for it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, you have that nice train journey just up from London every weekend, don't you? When you're going into the BBC there, Martin, there you go. <laughs> exactly. No, but in relation to this game on Friday as well, where, where do you see both teams now? Of course, United at the moment under Solskjaer picked up in recent times. You know, Emery going in, massive change there at Arsenal. Where do you see both sides at the moment then? Kevin, they're level on points in the Premier League, fifth and sixth, and this would have been 20 years ago, first and second. So there's been a big change, but I think they're they're both almost at, um, I wouldn't say the crossroads, but they're very important stages of the club's history now. Emery has um, demonstrated last week how well he can do with the players for seven days. He worked with them. I thought they were magnificent against Chelsea, but away from home, they've lost the last three games. Um, so there's still that brittleness, but it's coming. He needs to make changes. We've got a new central defensive partnership now. Socrates and uh, Kashani look to be the partnership. The Trump players are, are as good as they get with Lacazette and Aubameyang. But what worries me is this newfound confidence that Manchester United have. And Solskjaer has really put that into the club. Uh, they're playing with a freedom. Pogba is is roaming from midfield tactically. I thought they they beat Spurs recently. They were brilliant. The manager demonstrating that he's not just someone who puts smiles on the faces. He's a real tactician. So this is um, I think it's going to be another epic match. Is the BBC are there as we know, and I think they've chosen another really good game. I'm hoping that Arsenal can do what they've done to Spurs recently and Chelsea and win the game comfortably. But we'll, let's see what happens. Listen, um, it was just the most phenomenal game 20 years ago. Thanks so much for coming on and reliving the pain. <laughs> yeah, it still hurts now, don't worry. <laughs> no doubt. Thanks, guys. Martin Thank, you. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Cheers now. Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. Now, welcome, Mark. It's fair to say, Kev, 99 gets people reminiscing. To say the least. We'll probably be doing a lot more reminiscing across the course of this uh, this year, won't we? Probably. Keane scored a screamer 
uh, says Luke, that was str strangely chalked off for offside in the first game with Arsenal in that nil-all draw. I didn't remember that. Say that again. Keane scored a screamer that was ruled offside in the first game against Arsenal. Oh, did he? Yes, I, I honestly don't remember the game. So the Giggs goal should probably never have happened. Keane and Skulls started the FA Cup final. Keane hobbled off after a heavy challenge, being replaced by Sheringham. That's right. It was Gary Speed. And then Sheringham went on to score and assist. He laid it back for Skulls. And then for his own goal, he played a great one too. With skulls. It was Sheringham and skulls. You've got football brains there, don't you? In those two. They're, yeah. they're two players of football brains. Anyway, I'm interrupting Luke's um, text here. <coughs> Irwin suspended for the cup final after picking up a silly yellow in that 3-3 epic away at Anfield. Do you remember that? For kicking the ball away. Was it? Yeah. I think it was David Ellery. It was a ridiculous yeah, to give yeah. Dennis Irwin that yellow. David Leary is the one that sent Roy off, Roy Keane off, didn't he, in the uh, in that semi-final uh, for the tackle on Overmars? Yeah, he is. Yeah, uh, Luke continues. I'm 29. It's the season that made me fall in love with football, and clearly he's still um, hankering on to it. <laughs> uh, lads, if we're talking 99, remember York and Cole against Barcelona, the three-three game, unreal frontio. That was the dummy. Yeah, I remember that goal. Keane played it into York, dummy, Cole to York, York yeah. to Cole. Keane passing forward. Yeah, I remember. Just losing my mind when I saw that. I couldn't believe what was happening. <laughs> yeah, there's not many teams that do that to Barcelona, is there? It was just outrageous. And you see, for Manchester United at that stage, Europe was the Everest. Yeah. There'd been so many failings. And this, I mean, they had done very well in Europe, but they had never torn apart at Barcelona quite like this. Yeah. This was different, you know, it was amazing. I uh, saw the gigs go in 1999, sitting with Damien Duff's brother, Jerry. We were in South Lebanon. The brother was drinking out of his Blackburn Rovers mug. <laughs> Says Mick in Dublin, a Liverpool fan. Is that right, Damien? Jerry Duff? Yeah, do you know Jerry. Do you know Jerry Duff? Yeah. Well, there's Big Jerry, which is Damien's dad, and Little Jerry, which is Damien's brother, but Little Jerry's about six foot four. <laughs> <laughs> and how big yeah. is Big Jerry? Uh, big Jerry's not six foot four. I'd okay. say Jer uh, Big Jerry's probably five ten, five eleven. I would okay. say, yeah. Yeah, Topper's yeah. brother's six four, is he? Yeah, great family. Yeah, yeah, he's a, yeah, he's in the army. Yeah, great, right. great fella. He used to come and watch a lot of our games and. Um, he'd, he'd end up out in the hotel as well with family so yeah he's a great great fella really good fella Do, where did you watch 99? I, well no I don't well, the, the story I'm going to tell you about 99 was right. um, I was I was in the house I was in the house watching the, the gigs goal just in the house watching it with, probably like most people just watching the, the sky coverage it was a great night but 99 for the Champions League final uh, we were um, with the international side. We were on. We were on camp. I think we we're playing Macedonia that summer. You're on desk mic, by the way. There, so lean in. Right. Stay where you are. Yeah, my my mic is switched on here. Um, so we were. You're fine now. We were playing. Um, I think it was Macedonia. If memory serves me right. Playing Macedonia that summer, and we went to the Newmore Hotel up. Uh, where was that? Um, was it in Navan? I think it was. So anyway, we were staying there, and I was rooming with Lee Carsley. And in the hotel we were staying in, we used, there was a snooker table downstairs. Um, and it was a nightmare to get onto the snooker table. So cars and me watching the Champions League final. Yeah. And it gets to about ninety-seven mi or eighty-seven minutes I in see the game. Where this is going. And cars is like, should we go down and get the get the snooker table early? <laughs> yeah. So it's one nil to Bayern Munich. Come on, right, let's do it. So cars and myself get down. Nobody's in the room. Straight onto the snooker table. Ow. So that's it. We're on. No. Like you know, it's like um, Dennis Taylor and Steve Davis relive. Anyway. So anyway, Keith O'Neill comes down about 10 minutes later and he's like, oh my God, I can't believe what has happened here. This is unbelievable. I'm like, I know, what a shit game. Like the two of us like going, that was crap. Anyway, getting on with it. He goes, 
what are you serious like oh, can you believe no. do you know what anyway we said nah we we left it like a couple of minutes before the end it was ah. done wasn't it and then that's Keith O'Neill told us that Man United won the Champions League final oh 2 my one, yeah. god it's only one of the greatest <laughs> moments in football <laughs> You pair of idiots. <laughs> uh, we got we got on the snooker table, so that was all right. That, that, there's sake. a there's a silver line, isn't there? Somewhere no, along there's the no line. silver line in there. <laughs> be a pair of idiots. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's hilarious! So I that never did, knew that. That did happen, yeah. So yeah, every time every time Carl's and me when we speak about that Champions League final, we always bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, that's a regret. Yeah. George Best left apparently. What? He was at the stadium. Oh, was he? Took off around the time you and Lee were heading for the snooker yeah. table. Best thought. I'm getting out of here. Yeah. I get mobbed. 85 minutes, 86 like minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right, okay. Next month, we're gearing up for Cheltenham and the Gold Cup with a special Bulmers Road to Gold event in Clonmel on the 1st of February. Uh, won't be your average Cheltenham preview night. We'll have comedy from Apre Matches, Barry Murphy. David Brady's going to be there. Vogue Williams, too. And uh, some uh, top guests from the world of racing, including Nina Carberry and Kate Harrington. Ollie Bell, as well, from ITV. We'll have Johnny Ward and Jerry Gilroy there. To get your tickets, go to offtheball.com forward slash events now. Uh, as in offtheball.com forward slash events. You can do it now. Tickets are free. You must be over 18 to enter. So that's the Bulmers Road to Gold event in the Clonmel Park Hotel on February the 1st. So uh, keep your 99 memory texts coming in. We'll have a busy football show. Andy Reid's going to join us. He's doing the pro license. You might have seen those photos. Uh, from Enfield over the last few days, Jim McGuinness is down there and Robbie Keane and Damien Duff and Mick McCarthy was speaking to them. So we'll hear what all of the uh, pro licence entails. Uh, that's after nine. In the meantime, we've got Keith Wood and Matt Williams on rugby. Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. So lots going on. Huge amount of people in touch about 99. Yeah. And the treble. And Martin O'Neill's, um, Martin O'Neill, Martin Keown's interview from earlier on. Lads, I got pissed watching the final. Met my wife after with what uh, Brian Limerick calls her posh friends from London. <laughs> Puked in the loo. I flushed away my front tooth denture palette into the Shannon. And I returned to the table looking like Wurzel Gummidge. My wife was not impressed. It was a great night, though. Well, he met his wife that night. I don't so, think so. I think... So- it was his long-suffering wife at this stage. Oh, right. <laughs> and he was meeting her posh friend from London. <laughs> and he managed to flush away his front tooth denture palette <laughs> and came back to the table looking like Wurzel Gummidge. <laughs> there you go. Uh, great interview with Martin Keown. I'm misty-eyed listening about Vieira, Petit, Dennis and Anelka. Calls him Dennis. That's how you know. Awesome. Pure awesome Love. fan. Yeah. Good man. And then this one. Uh, Harry emailed into the Off The Ball Sport account there, so. Hello, lads. Randomly bumped into Martin Keown after the 2012 All-Ireland hurling replay, which Galway, unfortunately, lost. He signed my tickets, top man. He has big Galway connections, Keown. Galway, mum, for man or dad. Mum and dad, yeah. 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 Keown's son declared for Ireland a couple of years ago. Yeah, Niall's actually playing up in Scotland at the moment. Um, Yes, players, he plays for us. Martin should have played for us. Definitely should have played for us. Massive, massive Irish background within his family and everything. Um, We felt English. Clearly. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So it can't be one reel for Declan Rice and one reel for Martin Keown. Well, let's not get into that. Decl- yeah. <laughs> well, is Declan Rice even eligible now, is he? I don't know. <laughs> I think he is. Is he? I think he's more than eligible. Is he? Somebody yeah. wants to know, before we get into Andy Reid, he's waiting very patiently. Yeah, he's listening to us waffle on now. Yeah, yeah, no apologies. Did Kev play against the United 99 team 
And if so, was the 08 Champions League team better? Darren. I signed for Sunderland in 99. So uh, they won the league that year, didn't they? 99, 2000. Um, I they waltzed to the league. That was. Um, I think we drew them that year to all. Did you? At the Stadium of Light, yeah. First time I played against Man United at the Stadium of Light. It was a great game. I think we were two up and they came back and drew to all against us. That was the year Roy Keane was excellent as well. Um, I think he got Players Player of the Year that year. Ginola got it the year they won the treble. That was a bit mad, Ginola getting Players Player of the Year yeah. that year. I know he was amazing, yeah. but I think Keane got it the following but year. It's that old one, isn't it? United's season was defined in from April to May in the last six weeks of the season, or last maybe maybe March to May. Did you vote in January? Vote in the end of January, February. Why was that? Well, it's still, still now to an extent. It's still done. It, but it has to be. It's still done in the old balloting format. In the modern world, it makes no sense. Yeah, exactly. You think the lads could be able to do it on email, do it by the phone. Lads, well, lads won't vote. Lads wouldn't vote. I tell you, if if, if it was to be done on, on a text message or a, Andy'd probably tell you now himself, but lads wouldn't vote unless unless the PFA rep would bring it into you and basically force you to. I don't know if Andy was a PFA rep himself. I, I actually was never a PFA rep. But let's stop talking about him like he's not here. Hi, yeah. Andy. He's lads, he's okay. Yeah, yeah, we're just waffling on here. Yeah. So, what is it with you guys? Can you not just vote now in May? You can't be trusted. Yeah, to be fair, it's hard to round the lads up now, I have to say. I have been PFA rep a couple of times, <laughs> just, uh, chasing the lads around, and you literally have to sit down and make them write that team down. It is, it is proper grass. <laughs> I, I would have thought it would be something they would quite enjoy doing, no? No, these footballers are spoiled. Uh, no, not really. You know, I, I used to just try and get as many Irish lads in. in yeah, yeah, yeah. Try and give them a little vote, you know. You're in their ear. Seamus Coleman's had a great year, but don't let me influence you. I was. My, my, I tell you, my team every year. Andy Reid would have been in there every year, not a bother at all. Shea Gavin, Robbie Keane, Damien Duff, Richard Dunn, Lee Carsley, if I wasn't in the same. Honestly, that was, that was my team. Darren is waiting for an answer to his question. United 99 team will give you 99-2000, similar-ish team. Uh, or the OA Champions League team, which was what Tevez and Ronaldo and Rooney. <clears throat> I think well, this the achievement, isn't it? In '99, that's the thing. Uh, Martin Keown said early on. He said he thinks that that team was the best team ever because they would have always found a way to beat you, no matter how it wouldn't. It might not have been pretty at times, but they would have found a way to win a game. So, yeah, Ronaldo's probably the best player from from both sides. I would I'd probably say, but in general, I think that team. With Keane and with everyone in that side, I think uh, I think that that team from '99, yeah. Okay. The reason we wanted to speak to you, Andy, and thanks so much for making time, is that a lot of people would have seen the pictures. I mean, it was quite novel to see all the different faces there. Some of us are starting to feel very old looking at all these lads becoming managers. So, uh, you were there, Keith Andrews, um, Robbie Keane, Damien Duff. I saw Neil Fenn there. Uh, Vinnie Perth, I think, is going to go in and Dundalk. Jim McGuinness is kind of the unusual one as well. So you were all setting off on your UEFA Pro license. So this is the top license mandated by UEFA, and it's uh, issued by each member state's football federation. And uh, essentially, you need this if you want to coach at the highest level. So presumably, you've done your B license and done your A license. So, and um, are you done for the? Are you all there for the week in Enfield, or is it is it all wrapped up, or where are you? Yeah, no, no, we're still here. We've got um, we we, we came in on Monday morning, and um, we we we've had um, kind of seminars, coursework, um, lots of learning, coaching practices, all different kind of stuff, and 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 we finish now tomorrow evening. Um, it's been it's been very full on. You know, you don't get um, you don't get very much time to yourself. It's you know, there's there's a lot of information to take on, so plenty of note taking and 
you know, the guest speakers have been great. You know, we, we've been very, very lucky that we've had some, some brilliant guest speakers on. Uh, we've had some, some, some great people who've, uh, you know, done coaching practices for us and, and we've been able to interact with them as well. And that's, you know, that's where the learning comes from and on, on these courses. This is where, you know, this is the real nitty-gritty of it. It's, it's, you know, it's where you get all your knowledge from. Right, okay. Can you just take us through, because Kev, you've done all these. Mm. So, it's, I mean, we hear about these things and it's, it's very interesting. The B licence is the first one. And you need the B licence if you're going to coach um, amateur clubs, youth teams up to the age of 16, or to be assistant coaches for professional clubs. That's why you need the B licence. So, what kind of stuff's going on there? I presume more basic stuff, Kev. Yeah, and, uh, again, Andy, it, it's, it, it's trying to break down the, foot, uh, the football thing when you're in your B licence to make it as simple as possible. You, you, you're basically coaching kids' football, youth football. So, you... you You've got to obviously have an understanding of the game. You've got to have an understanding on. You, you, basically, you're trying to cut. You, you try and break the game down to such a way that's. It's, it was alien to me. That's the way that I found it doing my B license. It, it, it was. It was that simplistic. It was difficult. If, yeah. if, if you know what I mean. That's the way that I found it. The A license. I, I, I really enjoyed doing the A license. I thought it was. A, it was a great course. I really enjoyed it for so different reasons. Yeah. The B license, as in, if you're trying to explain to someone how to pass a ball, it's actually so routine and unconscious for you it's difficult to explain. There'd be, there'd be a bit of that yeah there'd be a bit of that within it yeah. How did you find the B licence Andy? Yeah I, I mean I, I, very similar to Kev you know the, I think the, 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 the main things that I got from the B and, and the A to a certain extent but not so much was, was more the organisation of, of sessions. I mean we're used to you know as players we were used to just turning up and and you know and the sessions already set up and you just walk out on the pitch and start training and when you're playing especially early on in your career you don't really think about it very much because you just go out and you just train but then you start getting towards the end and you think actually how is this session set up how big is my area need to be if I'm doing a, a possession uh, a possession game or, or if I'm doing a you know 66 or 77 how big is my pitch be uh, how can I get overloads in certain areas to try and get my coaching points across and and that was the big thing that I got for, for, from the PNBA was more the organisational side of it. Uh, what, what we found on, on this pro licence is, is it's more geared towards managerial processes. You know, there's a, there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, you have to manage backroom staff. You know, you've got to, uh, you've got to prepare teams for, for, for games. And so it's more managerial based, the pro licence, with, with, a, with a lot of uh, dealing with external factors, so to speak, i.e. the press and you know, the chairman and stuff like that. So, so they're kind of the differences between the B and the A and the pro licence that I've found so far. Yeah, just just one thing I just want to go back on the B licence as well, I never mentioned there, Andy, it's finding your own voice on the training ground, that little bit of nervousness, that anxiety that you have when you actually have to go and speak and start to put in a coaching session. That was something that I found mm. brilliant through the, through the B licence, just how to present yourself and how to get my voice across to, to the lads who I was supposed to be coaching, yeah. Interesting. And on, on a question, and, and I yes, sorry, well Andy. That, I think as well as that, it's just the the, 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 the coaching style. Uh, you know, everybody has to develop their own coaching style. You know, everybody has a different manner about them. Like what you said, Kev, how, how loud do you speak? Are you a rander and raver? Are you somebody who's nice and calm? And there's no right way or there's no wrong way. And yeah. I think everybody needs to, needs to try and find their own coaching style. What's your style? Uh, well, listen, I, I, I like to be very hands-on and I, I, I like to be kind of really in there, really kind of close to the action. Um, I, I, I like to be very clear and precise about what I want from my players. And, and preparation is part of that, you know, preparation for, for, for setting up your session and making sure that everything is right. And, and that's very important. And, and then explaining what you want from the players. And, yeah. and also, you know, you've got to add a bit of fun into it as well, if you can. I know there's a lot of serious things involved in it. 
you know, football, especially at the highest level, it's serious. You need to get results, you know, it's very important. But you need to add a little bit of fun into it, especially if you're working with, with, with young players. And, you know, I've been working with Ireland's under 18s, and, and, and you need to add a little bit of fun in it to kind of keep them on board a little bit, to kind of keep them ticking along. So you've got to try and add a little bit of humour into it and help them feel as relaxed as possible and as comfortable as possible um, in, in the sessions that you're doing. But the main aim of that is then to take it into the game. You know, there's no point in doing coaching sessions and then going out onto the onto the football pitch for, for, for a match and, and nobody doing what, what, what you've been coaching all week. That's, you know, that's pointless. So that's the main aim of it. And when you say hands-on and in the mix of it, like are you are you like Glenn Hoddle pushing David Beckham out of the way and showing someone how you hit a free kick Andy Reid style? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. But sometimes you do be itching to kind of get involved, <laughs> yeah. and, you know. And then and, and 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 then you just realise actually these are these are sixteen or seventeen year olds. I couldn't even catch any of them, even if I tried. So, uh, you know. So you you, you know you got to be careful with that. You want to be involved in it. You want to be part of the session. And, uh, you know, you want you you want to kind of feel it a little bit because that's yeah. what it is. You need to get a feeling for the session when you're in it. Where's the session going? Where is it taking me? Um, how am I going to deliver it? How am I going to get my points across in in a really clear and precise way, but in a manner that that they want to listen to you, you know, they want to learn. A more basic question about all this: How long does the B license take? How long does the A license take? I think the the pro license that you've started on now is about the guts of a year. What about B and A? Uh, for me, um, the, yeah, I think the B took uh, it was it was close to a year, um, and the A was. Was something similar, right. um, maybe a little bit more for the A. I think because um, I was still playing at the time, so um, mm. you know, so, so so you needed to kind of fit it in and around that, mm. which kind of spaced out and made it be a little bit longer. And um, the pro license is taking is going to be longer. It's probably going to be about eighteen months to, to to two years. Again, depending on when you can get your assignments done, there'll be you know there'll be a lot of people in in, in some, some people in better positions than us to get their assignments done, to get their tasks done, to do club visits, you know, to to get assessed and and all the other bits. So so there's no kind of set date. You know, it started on Monday, but there's no set date as to when it's going to be finished. It's just got to be finished. I think you've had to have everything in before May 2020. But I, I would imagine most of the lads would be hoping that um, that, that it would be finished before then. Right. And, and by the way, just a quick aside, Kev's coming in with a question. The joys of live radio here. We were trying to get through to you on the landline in your hotel room, but they're not answering at reception. But if your landline suddenly rings, pick that up and we'll get you on that one. It'll be a better line. But um, I, there was no other way to get that message to you besides saying it to you on air. Uh, Kev, you yeah. come in there. No, I, I wanted to ask you, Andy, you, you, can you tell us which guest speakers you've had this week? You spoke about that you've already had a few guest speakers on through your course and, and who you would have on across the course of your course, of, of the course over the next 18 months or so. Yeah, listen, I think it's a very important thing to the speakers. And we had a great start on Monday morning. We had Mick McCarthy come in as as a guest speaker on Monday morning. Mm. So we had a couple of you know a couple of housekeeping bits and pieces to get sorted, and then and then Mick came in and um, Mick came in and, and done a, done a talk for us, and it was excellent. It was a really really good insight into managing, into when things go right, when things go wrong situations that Mick has found himself in and you know without going into too much detail because obviously it's you know it's quite personal stuff and it's not stuff that you know that, that you would be going around talking about because Mick was very very open with us and yeah. it, it was really really good insight and we were very very lucky to um, you know to have him there and, and, and to get his um get his insight without 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 divulging confidence totally appreciate your point uh, I don't suppose 
May 2002 is anything he wants um, people talking about, for instance. But was there any, like, in broad terms, like a piece of advice or a way of going about things uh, that you took from Mick's um, talk? Yeah, well, well, there was actually loads of little kind of nuggets that you would kind of take. And one that, and, and speaking to the lads, I think some of the other lads kind of took it, took it as well, was dealing with, dealing with, when you said problematic players, players who maybe, you know, aren't going to be in your team or you're having to leave them out, you know. And, and he was really, really good at giving us an insight into how he does that, how he tries to keep a, an arm around people, try and keep them involved, even though they might not be playing. And it's difficult to tell these players that, they're not in the team, but you know you have to do it, and, and it's also difficult to kind of keep them switched on and make them understand. You know you're still going to be involved. You might need to come on and uh, and do a job for us. So you know, I think mixed man management and Kev will know uh, will know as well as anybody. And uh, mixed man management has always been very very small. So um, you know, so, so so for him to give us an insight into that was a real eye opener for us. And, it was, and as I said, great nuggets that we were able to take from that. For, for us as, as young coaches trying to uh, trying to you know get on in the game, is this a course you can fail as a matter of interest? Uh, well, well, yeah, it is. Um, I mean, you know, as I said there's tasks that need doing, there's, there's assignments that need that need doing, there's club visits, you know, there's assessments, there's all these different things, and and, and we've just had a meeting there about all the requirements that we're going to need to 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 get the the, the pro license and to to achieve it and to pass it and. And there's, there's a, there's a, it's a big body of work, you know. There's a hell of a lot of stuff goes into it, and um, and if it's not all if it's not all produced, and they made that clear to us in no uncertain terms, if it's not all there, there's a tick box, you know. This has to be handed in. This has to be handed in, and it, so it has to be handed in to our tutors, and it has to be checked, and it has to be signed off by Nyla Regan and Ruth Doctor, and then it has to be sent over to UEFA, and it has to be ticked off by them. So. So there's no shortcuts through this, you know. This is all kind of checked and and, and double checked, and uh, so so the work has to be done. The work has to be there. And, and what about your club visits, then, Andy? Have you got anything lined up? Is there anything that you would like to? Would you like to go abroad? Some lads do like to to, to do various um, different things. I suppose they can go to different uh, different clubs along the way. Is there anything that you would that you would specifically like to do? Have you got a couple of clubs that you would like to see along the way? Yeah, I do. I'm doing that and I've been wanting to go for a while, and I'm going to get it done in the next kind of two or three months. Uh, is is um, Athletic Bilbao? Uh, you know, I find what they do are absolutely amazing, and I've been wanting to go for a while. I mean, you're talking about a club here that are, you know, they're in the top division in Spain, and and they do well. And, you know, they've been up there, uh, but all the kids that they come through and all the players that play for them are all from the Basque region. Um, and and I find that amazing. You know, Manchester United just using um, players from from the Greater Manchester region. Um, so they, they must be doing something right to be able to produce these players to go into their first team and to be able to compete in that top league. There must be some sort of structure. There must be something that they're doing over there. And I want to go and see what that is. And it's a really really interesting one for me. And and I will be doing that club visit as as part of my. Um, uh, as part of my course, and I'll be doing a report on it. Oh, that's good. So you've got it nailed down already. You've already you've already put the uh, or spoke to the people in pl- and get it in place for yourself, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I just yeah. need to sort out the time and uh, and the place and when suits them and when suits me. But um, that's you know that's definitely something that, that that's going to happen in, in in the next few months for me. You know, as I said, I find it very very interesting what they're doing over there. There has to be something special going on there. That's a, it's a really amazing achievement from a club. 
uh, to, to be able to do that. Yeah, it's a great point because I would have thought the most popular destination would be wherever Pep Guardiola is. You know, everybody <coughs> would, would want to see that, but that, that Bilbao choice makes uh, perfect sense. Uh, maybe a question for both of you then. Like, so say the game tactically is just moving all the time and moving very quickly, and I dare say, you know, we we're talking about you and Man United back in 99. I guarantee you both sides were playing a 4 4 2. Yeah. You know, and so that aspect of the game is changing so much. Uh, where do you learn about tactics? Where do you learn how to respond to a four-three-three, or if the opposition plays a three-five-two, what the best way to counteract that might be? Where where does that learning take place, or is there just an assumption with these badges, Andy, that you lads will know that already? Listen, the thing about about football and about tactics is it's very, very subjective. Mm. It's 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 every you know everybody has their own ideas on that. And I think that's what makes you a good coach and a good manager, or not, as the case may be. You have to have this football knowledge that's in there. Nobody can say to you if you come up against a four-four-three. If you play, uh, you do, you do well playing against yeah. a four-four-three. Four, four-three is the ultimate honestly. formation. That's the one I'd want to play. <laughs> yeah, four-three, <laughs> four-three-three. Yeah. No, but if you if you if you do that, you come up against a four-four-two or whatever the case may be. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 nobody can say this is how you can counteract that. This is, you know, there's ways that we think well, we might be able to exploit them down the side if they play three in the back, or you know, if if if, if they play um, if they play only two in midfield. If we play three in midfield, we might be able to pass the ball around them. But there's no set thing, there's no rule book to it, and football would be very very boring if there was, you know. Yeah. So there's always new things coming out. There's always innovations, and there's always new coaches that that people want to learn from, and people want to say, well, they're doing well, they're doing something. New, um, you know, how can I, how can I kind of tap into that? And football is constantly evolving, you know, and, and it goes, it goes round and round about, and then comes back around, and somebody else will come up with something new, and and that will be the craze for a little bit, and, and people are coming up with their own systems and coming up with their own styles of play, and and I think that's the great thing about football, and that's the great thing about coaching is that there's such a broad spectrum there, and you've got a blank sheet, and you can. You know, you can go and, and, and express yourself as a coach, and hopefully, you know, get across to the team what we're looking for. And, and then, I mean, the, the, the aim for that, as we spoke about, you know, when you go into a game situation, and we reproduce what we're looking to do on the training pitch. Mm. You're asking the question there, and he's made several good points within that as well. It's, it's not necessarily in your coaching badges that you're saying, right, okay, you're playing against a. You'll be asked the question. You're playing against a three-five-two or whatever system you're coming, you're coming up against. What would you do? To, it, right. it's, it, it's like it, it's me, me and you, Joe, me and Andy, whoever it would be. We're actually coming up with the solutions or trying to come up with the solutions and how to. What would we do in that yeah. position? There's no rule book. As you said, there's no, there's no right or wrong. And you, so, could, could someone there listen to your answers to those questions and come to the conclusion after a couple of times talking to you that actually, Kev, you don't have a notion? Totally. Well, they wouldn't. They wouldn't necessarily agree with you, but yeah. that's that's your beliefs and how you and how and you, you think the it game. should be played. But if, if you follow Andy's point through to its logical conclusion, so Andy, not to to misquote you, you sort of said there. Well, you know, it's very hard to teach someone that. You know, that's that's there's no there's no rule book. There's no quick uh, manual you can check. Four four two equals I play X Y or Z. Um, if that's one of the most important things about being a manager, then you could argue that as good as these badges might be, you can't actually teach someone. The key aspect, one of the key aspects of being a manager, then. Yeah, well, I think I think the coaching badges now, in general, when you're going through, you start to realise that a lot of it, particularly what I think I'm sure Andy will will realise across this course as well, is there is so much more than just what happens on the training ground. I appreciate that, but that's that's that is the that is the main thing. Ultimate will always say results are going to dictate what a manager is going through, but 
to be fair, it isn't that. It, that. That's what management, modern day management, particularly at the top level, it isn't about that. Yeah, so it's about budgets and it's about there's money. So mu there's so much more. There's so much yeah. more to it, yeah. But it is interesting that like one of the key things, so like how, you know, Manchester City set up their team, how do you play against them? There could, yeah. be, some, there could be someone in their pro licence who just, I don't know, just go out and hope for the best. Uh, yeah, but, it's but, very but, hard but, to teach them. But there's, there's a lot of managers that would have done that, that would have worked for them. That wouldn't necessarily work on the training ground. I mean, again, it's more so for Andy. I think he's, yeah. he's sitting it now. But there'll be a lot of managers that would sit um, on, um, not so much on, but they would sit the coaching coaches, yeah, tick the boxes, as Andy said. But they will go about things a whole lot differently when they get back to the club. And that, that's just how it is. It's very, very, very subjective. And that's the way that it'll always be, I feel, the game. There's no way to coach it, Andy, you, you feel. There's no way to give people uh, tactical coaching on a deep level, is there? Um, no, I think experience is probably is probably the best tool. Right. Um, you know, it's again, it's not an exact science, but being there and seeing it, you know, and and if you're clever enough, you know, if you come up against somebody and and, and they really overload you in a certain area, you know, you might kind of go away and do your analysis and come back and say, well, uh, they've overloaded me. There. How can I learn from this? And how can I put it right next time? So in a way, that's a, that's a learning tool. Um, but as I said, there's no there's no exact science to it. Yeah, and, and, and because it's constantly evolving, football is constantly evolving. It's constantly changing, and, and and everybody's trying to get the edge over everybody else. So you kind of counteract one thing, and then you know they'll try and do something else, and you put something out, and you catch somebody out, and then they'll they'll learn from that as well. And you have to constantly, constantly change and constantly move on with the times and, and be innovative. I think is a very, very important thing to be as a coach. Mm. What are your own coaching ambitions then? Well, well, eventually I want to be a manager. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm on my coaching journey at the moment and I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm learning, I'm learning all the time. Speaking to people all the time. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm like a sponge at the moment where I'm just trying to absorb everything. I'm speaking to everybody. I'm taking things on board and I'm saying, yeah, I really like that. No, that's not so much for me. Uh, you know, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of filtering things. And, but eventually I want to be a manager. You know, I feel like I've got the tools for that. Um, uh, and, and this is this is kind of part of the journey, you know. And I think it's very important not to kind of get too far ahead of yourself, you know. Or I wouldn't be probably interested in going for a, a first team manager's job at the moment because I don't feel that that I'm kind of ready to do that, you know. So I think it's important that you take in steps that you continuously learn. And 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 if you're good enough, and and and, and if you want enough, then you know, then then I believe it'll come to you. Did you get talking to Jim McGuinness at all? Yeah, I've spoke to him. Yeah, yeah, Jim's Jim's been good. He's, you know, I think he's really enjoyed the um, he's really enjoyed the week. You know, he's really enjoyed being being, being around. Well, one thing that I will say, you know, obviously Jim's on the course. One thing that we've actually we're actually very very lucky. You, you name some of the lads that are on the coach that are on this course mm. uh, earlier on, and it's brilliant to have such a um, such a wealth of experience on this course. I mean, we had to do a presentation earlier on on a coaching practice that we watched yesterday, and. What we decided to do with, with the presentation was was be interactive with the lads. So we have to present it to all the lads on the course. Now, I'm looking at when I'm doing this presentation, I'm saying, we've got such a vast knowledge and such vast experience here in this room. Let's tap into it. So I was throwing questions out to the lads. You know, what did you feel about this part of the session? What did you feel about this? And the answers, the quality of answers that you're getting back and the quality of debate that we ended up having we're second to none, and you don't just get that, you know, everywhere you go. So, so yeah. we're all 
very lucky, I think, with the quality of people that are on this course. That's what strikes me about this um, pro license by the sounds of things. You're, I mean, it sounds like there's not an exact curriculum that's that's taught, you know, so you could have Mick McCarthy here and that, that could be great and you mightn't get such a good speaker somewhere else necessarily or equally your classmates mightn't be as experienced or have done as much in the game. So you can probably be a bit unlucky or lucky, Kev. I don't know who mm. spoke to you or what kind of people you had. We had, yeah, I had Mike Phelan spoke on our course. Um, but I'm trying to think of it. There was, there was, we actually went, we went to Geneva actually through our course as well. Packy, Packy actually, Packy Bonner spoke on our course as well. We had many different people, uh, psychologists, um, nutritionists, um, S and C uh, coaches. We, right. we, we, we had so many different people along different sort of lines that we would have spoke to, and that's what. I think Andy would Andy will be tapping into across the course of his course as well. Yeah. Yeah. So has Robbie Keane tried to copy your homework yet, or is that happening? Or? <laughs> no, 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 not quite. We keep it well hidden. You know, <laughs> no copying going on here. No, but you know the, the thing is that you mentioned. That, I don't know. You can't, we, we laugh and we joke about that. Yeah. But there'll be no point in looking at what anybody else is doing and, and, and taking and taking down what they're doing because it's about you as a coach and how you develop. And and everybody's going to be different. You know, somebody might have a theory on this and they might want to play this way and and, and, and that's great that's very good for them but it's not for me yeah. and it doesn't mean that they're wrong or that I'm right you know it's it, it's just that the fact that everybody is an individual and there's no right and wrong it. it's your it's it's your voice it's your kind of thoughts it's your it's your processes uh, and that's up to you and and I think that's a very important thing and uh, to, to understand if you come on a course like this there's no right there's no wrong it's just you doing what you believe is right, and and the tutors uh, are there to kind of guide you along with that. Um, we've got to wrap up. We've gone way over time, but it was very really interesting to talk to you about all this. A very very quick one. We're all keeping a closer eye on Nottingham Forest now than we might usually do, obviously, with uh, Martin O'Neill gone in there, and maybe Roy Keane to follow. Do you keep a close eye on how the club are doing, and if so, what kind of players does he have to work with? What can O'Neill, what can we expect him to achieve as a good end to a season, Andy? Um, well, listen, they, they, they've got a decent squad. Right. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Oita Clank, it was very, very, uh, it, it was a very sticky situation, and he's probably unlucky not to still be in a job, whatever way things turn out. I think he's done a decent job. He was putting together a good squad. They brought in 14 players in, 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 um, in the summer. Some really, really good players as well. You know, we've got players like Lewis Graben and Jack Colback and, and they signed Michael Dawson, although he's had a couple of injuries. So, you know, there's there's, there's some there's some strong players. They they signed the um, they signed a lad called Carvalho from Benfica for, for fourteen million. Um, technically he's a really good player, he plays in the number ten position. Um so there's some strong players there that's a it's a good, decent squad and, and you know, with just maybe a little bit of tweaking, I don't see any reason why they can't go on a decent run. But you know, the championship is a tough. It's a tough <laughs> league, as, as anybody who will have played in it can can testify to that. You know, it's it, it's not going to be easy. But it's still only five or five points off the playoffs or something like that. So it's definitely within reach. Okay, listen, great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Thanks, Appreciate Andy. it, Andy. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks a lot, lad. Andy Reid there, who, as you may have seen during the week, has embarked on his UEFA Pro licence. It's finished up in the city game this evening, one nil on the night, eleven nil on. Aggregate. We'll take a short break. Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. So um, I'm not sure, is it a moneymaker? Is it uh, really, really useful, this uh, pro-licence stuff? What do we think? Yeah, I, 
Yes, I do think that they're very, very useful. I, th I think, and something that Andy touched on there as well, I think Cause so you can't I, underestimate. When I say they're moneymaker, they're dear to do. Yeah, they are expensive. Might be seven, eight, nine, ten grand to do yeah. your pro license. Very expensive. Yeah, they are expensive to do. Yeah, um, but I think it's what you're learning from, as Andy touched on the the knowledge. What's and, and it could be basic things that, that some of the people would have. I'm sure that you know people like Jim McGuinness will have they'll have a different side to bring to that course. And it'd be great to learn from him. It'd be great to learn from someone else that's coached a lot of youth football. And it, I think that's where I felt as though that you learn a lot more from, right. from from your peers and the people. Some of the lectures were excellent, don't get me wrong, um, but in general, most definitely from the people that's on the course with, I felt we, I learned so much more from. Did you do yours thinking you might go into coaching and would go into coaching I and, was called, and, yeah. and stay in coaching? Yeah, I was coaching at the time, wasn't I? I was coaching up at Hull at the time. Um, and that was the plan. It was the plan. And then Nicky Barmby was at lost the job, um, his job, I was in, uh, going to be taking the 21s at the time, on the 23s, and then I was out of a job, and I was then persuaded to go back and play, to, to play actually, and I just, after that, that experience, it was just like, mm. I know how quickly you can be in and out of a game, and lads who I would know now, they say, you know, I'm great friends with Lee, Lee Carsley, and Lee has had a career now over the last seven, eight years, which has been... <laughs> You know, club into international football, back out of international football, and he's had so many different jobs over that time. And he's been very fortunate to to stay in the game for for as long as he has. And I think that's why, in general, he's probably taking his time before he's actually going to be decided. I mean, ultimately, he will probably want to manage. He will want to go and take top jobs, but he's uh, he's choosing the right job when to do it. And I think that is the key. I think when you go into coaching and management. So that's quite a sliding doors moment then, the Nicky Barnby dismissal. If that doesn't happen and he stays on there for another few years. I wouldn't be alongside John Malloy now. Is that what it is? That's what I'm asking. Do you think so? No, I, well, I would have stayed at Hull. I would def I would have 100% stayed there for at least another, se another season. Mm. Probably with the contract length, it probably would have been another three seasons. And then you're starting to get into it then. I mean, you're... Yeah. You might be a career coach or yeah, a manager. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, it's the things probably in my personal life as well that that, that changed and dictated where I was going to. Um, that influenced me maybe to, to take a, another year at, at Coventry. Um, that would have certainly influenced that one. But yeah, it, it definitely is a sliding doors moment. I, I, I probably I would say would be in coaching now. Yeah. And do you think you're done now? There's no going back. Well, it's probably six years, five years now, six years, and it's a long you time. Still go back, though, yeah, I probably could, and I'd, but I'd have to, I'd have certainly go back to basics again and start to just get the feeling for it again. I'm sure it would come back. I enjoyed it when I was doing it, but I've got no plans to at the moment. No, I'm, you're I'm, enjoying this too much. I'm enjoying being alongside you, Joe. Jeez, it must be miserable being a coach. <laughs> uh, I've done uh, Burton a disservice, by the way. Ten nil, not eleven. Yeah, you've killed them there, Joe. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and. Scott Minto doing the coverage. Yeah. Jimmy looks like he well, was, wishes he was anywhere else. But that's a killer for Sky tonight, that game, isn't it? Because Sky have, have really had a big um, a big play at building up the Carabao Cup and how good it is. And in fairness, you've got three of the best teams in the Premier League in the last four. And then City do to Burton what they did in the first game. So that game tonight is a non-event, isn't it? And yeah. Tomorrow night should be a good one. Uh, Chelsea-Tottenham Chelsea, 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 will be a very good game, yeah. Imagine your pearl Jimmy Floyd getting the call tonight. Jimmy. Burton manager, you wouldn't even know he was actually Burton Albion second. manager, Joe. Oh, was he? He was, yeah. Is he working at the moment? You know, he went to QPR from Burton. I don't think you know he's not in he's not in, in a job at the moment. I don't think you might correct me on that, but I don't think he is now. There are a few quick things just to let people know have gone on in the world today and maybe get your thoughts on some of them. So David Beckham to Salford. That's the romantic story of the afternoon. He's taken a ten yeah. percent stake. What do you, in what Salford. do you know of Salford? 
What do you mean, what do I know of Southampton? What do you know of Salford? What do you know, apart from the class of 92, have uh, a massive stake in the club? Now more, now, now a, a, the largest stake in the club, yeah? I know that they are off the top of my head second, I think, in the division below League Two. So they're in the mix. Yeah, they're Nas in the mix to get up now, to, yeah. uh, to actual league football, which would be <coughs> yeah. quite something. A lot of people have seen the documentary, so I've watched a good oh, few of them on yes, Sky. Oh, yes, of course you would have so seen you, that. you get yeah. a decent feel for the club, and the Class of 92 pop in a fair bit in that. So Peter Lynn obviously own, Peter Lim owns uh, 40% mm. of the club. Yeah, Adam, Rooney, Adam Rooney's top striker there for them. They signed him from Aberdeen. It was a big thing that yeah. um, they could afford to actually pull a player out of the Scottish Premiership and, play, and pay him a better wage than Aberdeen could pay him to, to, to bring him to Salford. Uh, so he's, I think he's a top scorer this season for Salford as well. I think he's going for it. I think he is. He, he certainly is. Uh, but they've, they've actually fallen away a little bit. They had, a, they had a, a poor start, then they had an unbelievable run of games. I think they won about 13 on the bounce, 14 on the bounce. And they've just fallen away up, up around Christmas time. So it's about getting them back on track, I suppose. Yeah, and Bex might be the man to do that. 10% of the club. Also, of course, uh, he's an investor in Inter Miami. <laughs> you like that name, don't you? <laughs> That'd break your heart, wouldn't it? <laughs> Into Miami. Into yeah. Miami. It's a joke. <laughs> I know. You're joking. Uh, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh dear. Uh, elsewhere, Guardiola has given up trying to curb Benjamin Mendy's prolific social media output. I'm not his father, though he says I'm not unhappy about Mendy. Yeah. I can't. I can't change him. He's active on social media. It is what it is. We've tried to convince him. I'm not his father. Uh, I'm delighted with Benjamin but sad he can't play because of injuries and then talks about how brilliant Mendy is around the training ground and everyone loves him. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mo Salah, Kev, mysteriously, yeah. has deleted his social media accounts. So <coughs> he uh, tweeted yesterday, 2019 resolution, time to get in touch for real. And today it's all gone. Yeah. So uh, it's very cryptic. Time to get in touch for real. Maybe he wants to connect with people in a real way. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but Mo Salah, not on social media. And then a last one before I ask you about Higuain. This uh, Gibraltar situation for Irish fans is going to be delayed again. It's quite tricky, this, because this game's on in March. Yeah. McCarthy's first game in charge. Gibraltar want to play it at their 2,000 capacity Victoria Stadium in Gibraltar. UEFA have raised concerns over the stadium's ability to host the game. Um, up to 1,000 fans want to travel. <coughs> Irish fans expected to travel. They'll, I mean, obviously, the ticket allocation won't be a fraction of that. Uh, but it seems if the Victoria Stadium is not approved, the game will be moved to Faro, which yeah. is 400 kilometres away. So that's what, that's where we played them last time, wasn't it? I think we played them there in, in the World Cup qualifier, I think that'd be right, Euros qualifier. Well, the decision was meant to be made today. Obviously, people want to try and book flights, but that's been delayed for uh, another week. So um, Higuain then, and actually Frankie Dion, we've talked about yeah, as well. Yeah, two of them. Higuain coming to Chelsea from Juventus. Murata is going back to... Uh, Atletico. Yeah, uh, I mean... Higuain's goal-scoring record is fairly phenomenal. Is he still in decent shape? So, I mean, with Madrid, his peak years, 107 goals in 190 games. Napoli, 71 in 104. And then Juve, he scored 40 in 73. So, fairly prolific and still only 31. He often looks a bit older to me. Yeah, he's, he's carried a bit he of is, weight, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so, no, since the start of the old 6 or 7 season, Higuain has scored 224 goals in the big, Euro big five European leagues. 105 La Liga, 117 Syria. In that period, only five players have scored more league goals than the Argentinian. That's no, very impressive. Does this transform what Chelsea can offer? On, on paper, it does. Um, or it doesn't? Well, I, I think um, Sari spoke about it, about a real focal point to the side. 
clearly doesn't fancy Morata. Morata's supposed uh, Atletico Madrid move. I think he's going on loan. That that looks like that'll be done probably now. Doesn't really fancy Giroud, and Giroud's not a pro prolific goal scorer anyway. Certainly not at the level of Higuain, and he's been playing. Um, Hazard through the middle as a nine. He doesn't, and he, and he hasn't been playing well. He was quite critical of Hazard in the last couple of days as well, saying he's not a leader. Um, doesn't necessarily see him as being that. I, I assume by that he was mean the focal point of the side, but I think there's a bit more to it than that. He seemed to me like he was having a bit of a pop at Hazard. Questioning, he's questioned the attitude of the team in in recent weeks as well about how difficult yeah. it is to motivate them. So yeah, I think Higuain is certainly the, the player that's worked well under Sarri before. So that's the thing. I think he's got 36 goals under Sari in Sari's season. So I think it's, um, yeah, I think he'll do well under him. I do. He's certainly the third player. It's, it's his weight issues that he's had. He's clearly yeah. had those issues all. Frankie de Jong has been much heralded for a while now. He's 21 and he's going to join Barcelona at the end of the season. He'll stay at Ajax for the rest of the season. Uh, 75 million euro, uh, plays at the base of their midfield. People would have seen him in their UEFA Cup run, if yeah. nothing else. We were talking to um, Simon Cooper a couple of months back, and he was singing this guy's praises. Can do it all. Passer, dribbler, really brilliant player. Everybody's been chasing him. All the big yeah, I mean, he's only got three goals and assists this season, but I think anyone who would have seen him realised that's not his game. He's not, he's not going to be uh, getting on the end of moves. He's very much at the base of midfield. Cool and calm under pressure. Excellent passing range. Um, you would think, ideally, yes, he would be sitting there instead of Sergio Busquets. I think that's that's the sort of role that he'd be playing. I don't think they can play together. I don't think there's probably real legs within that Barcelona side or they need to get legs around one or the other of those players to, to seriously go and uh, go and compete again. So I think it'll be De Jong instead of, of Busquets. And oh. I, this could signal the end of him. That's the way I would look at it. Because he's the type of player that will, will constantly look, as I said before, he'll take the ball under pressure in any part of the pitch, starts attacks forward, good link man from defence to midfield, midfield into attack. He's a great uh, player in, in that respect, considering he's only 21 years of age as well. Only six caps for Holland. That will, of course, improve over, over time as well. So, yeah, big signing for Barca. Okay, big, big signing. Football on Off The Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in-play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. <laughs>